0: conversation that we're having about supply chain finance today is a lot different than the one of just a few short years ago. Hi everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, editor-in-chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. Over the years, the options available in the area of supply chain finance have matured, broadened, and done a great deal to preserve the often shaky relationship between buyers and suppliers. It's been a rough ride, what with economic ups and downs and pandemic and rising costs and geopolitical tensions, well, you know. But just in the past couple of years, the global trade landscape has undergone radical change, and with it, many of the factors that make up the supply chain finance calculation. We weren't talking much before about its relationship to resilience and sustainability, but now they're both very much part of the conversation. On the show today, we welcome back P.J. Bain, CEO of Prime Revenue to bring us up to date on the world of supply chain finance and how it's changed in step with the times. We also address the shifting balance of power between suppliers and buyers. It's a different world indeed. Here's my conversation with P.J. Bain. P.J. Bain, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bob. It's always
1: great to be with you and, and your listeners on the podcast.
0: Great. And P.J., of course, it's been a while since we spoke. And since that time, a lot has changed in the economy. There have been a number of things going on. As, I don't know if I, we need to tell our audience. I'm sure they know interest rates up, inflation up, recession may be looming on the horizon. We're not sure where we are with COVID and all that stuff. What I'm wondering is if you could just sort of generally give me a statement as to how all of this is impacting the world of supply chain finance from a macro standpoint.
1: Well, that is an absolutely great question. Great point. A lot has changed. A lot is changing today. The the January 2023 jobs report is just out this morning, and I think it was unexpectedly high. So I think the, the macro economy and the supply chain situation obviously has a direct impact on supply chain finance and trade finance more broadly and i think the watchword continues to be uncertainty and volatility and Mm -hmm. while there is uncertainty and volatility in any industry or or business or even your personal sort of the management of your own household Cash is key to being able to absorb the shocks associated with uncertainty and volatility. And we are seeing that across all constituents on our platform and supply chain finance and across the data. and, And my peers across the industry are indicating that they're seeing the same thing. So it is a good state for the industry. Volatility and uncertainty drives the need for cash for buyers and suppliers alike. The availability of that cash, I'm sure we'll talk about and the liquidity that's being injected into supply chain is a little bit of a different matter uh, yeah. with banks. But I'm sure we'll get into that.
0: Well, let's get into it because uh, you say cash is key. And for a period of time there, companies were when interest rates were low and money was cheap, companies were sitting on a lot of cash. What is the situation now? Are they drawing down on that or is it still there? Are the reserves still there? And how might that be impacting the whole supply chain finance landscape?
1: It really is a question of where you are, what types of businesses. So, some businesses, some sectors still have good cash reserves. Corporate debt is at an all time high. So, mm-hmm. if that debt is floating rate and is affected immediately by the rising interest rates, the service, the, the carrying cost of that debt to, to service that debt is going up. And that's eating into while EBITDA might look good, cash is being affected with many of our clients because they have to service that debt. And so we're starting to see those cash reserves go down a bit. The cost of debt is going up. If they're fixed rate debt instruments that corporates have, those will be refinanced at some point over the, the next couple of years, probably with many businesses. And so we really haven't seen an impact yet over quarters where the interest rate carrying costs of debt have had a big impact. But we're starting to see businesses really think about that. So the use of trade finance and off-balance sheet types of tools like supply chain finance or true sale of receivables platforms increasing with our clients as they prepare for what may happen in q two or q three or q four of two thousand twenty three
0: well again it 's kind of a way of setting the table for this discussion. I want to ask you about the dynamic between buyers and sellers maybe it 's a little bit misleading or a little bit extreme to talk in terms of balance of power, but it does seem like recently we 've heard that that balance, so to speak, has shifted more toward the supplier that there was a number of years there where basically the buyers were calling the terms, they were extending payment terms, they were doing all kinds of things that were maybe leaving a lot of suppliers at risk. I wonder if that is true in coming out, I hope we're coming out, of the pandemic. Do suppliers have a little bit more power now in that relationship?
1: Undoubtedly. I think that that is the right way to think about it, at least from one lens or one perspective, because it is a relationship It is a commercial relationship. It is a trading relationship, obviously, between a buyer when they're buying goods and services from a supplier. And so there is a dynamic associated with a balance of power. And certainly leading into the pandemic, pre-March 13th of 2020, there's no doubt that at a macro level across broad spectrums of geography and industry sectors, the buyers had that power and they used that power where they could to improve their own performance. So it could show up as payment terms. It could show up as margin. It could show up as preference. But what happened during the pandemic starting on March 13th of 2020 in really the U.S. and Western Europe, we saw that power shift. Suppliers started shutting down. There were massive supply chain shortages. So that balance, that pendulum of, of that balance of power swung completely to the side of the suppliers in late 2020 and late 2021. There was no longer a scenario where buyers could say, hey, I'm going to go next door to your competitor and buy the same product at the same quality on the same payment terms and using that as leverage. The Mm -hmm. supply chain shortages created a situation where the buyers needed to find supplies, at almost any cost, to keep their revenue engines running, to be able to bring in raw materials, put it through work in process, create finished goods, so that they could drive their revenue engine. We're seeing the pendulum swing back a bit. And really what we're seeing today, Bob, is an emergence of companies that are leading with best practices of a balance of that power, really thinking about strategic suppliers, strategic relationships, thinking about the long term, how can they shore up certainty so that both companies are strong and powerful and and have a balance of availability of cash, of payment terms, of margins, so that the the entire supply chain is strengthened, so that when the inevitability happens with something else pops up and there's more uncertainty or more volatility, that those strategic suppliers can work together through that. And we, we see that manifested and supply chain resiliency initiatives, we see that manifest itself in sustainability issues and in ESG initiatives and in electrification across the automotive industry. So I think it's, it's really a collaborative partnership that's for the good of the supply chain. And it mm-hmm. can also have a, a pretty significant impact on the economy, the, the broader economy.
0: So as buyers, based on what they have faced in the last few years, begin to get a new mindset of risk mitigation and risk management, perhaps then they are drawn more to the idea of, a, of saying, hey, we actually appreciate our suppliers in a way more than just the cheapest price and the like. Do you think that is changing their mind and changing the way they treat their suppliers because they're thinking now about risk in a way they didn't before?
1: 100%. I, I think I shared with you the last time I was on the podcast, the evolution of supply chains really goes back to the 50s with Edwards Demings with Just in Time and mm-hmm. just driving massive efficiencies. And just-in-time has completely shifted with most of our large, thoughtful, long-term thinking buyer clients thinking about just-in-case. What's going to happen just-in-case? We need to make sure that we have the resilience. We can't be dependent on a specific supplier. We can't be dependent on a specific geography. We can't be dependent on a significant region. We have to think more thoughtful and more long-term And the health of our supply chain, meaning the health of every individual supplier that we partner with strategically is critical to our long-term survival and then we've got to get through that survival before we can get to thriving and you're starting to see a competitive advantages with buyers that are thinking that way and developing those relationships within our supply chain.
0: But just to get back for a moment to what it was like for a while there, the idea that a buyer could kind of hold their payables over the heads of the suppliers and say, "Sure, you want to be paid in sixty days? That's fine with me," but in exchange for a little discount off the off the tab, right? Are they still able to do that, or are they pretty much now having to step up with a hundred percent payment because they value the suppliers in a way that they didn't before?
1: I think it's shifted back to a balance. I think in twenty twenty one and through the early stages of 2022, the, the leverage was with the suppliers. So we, you actually saw payment terms go down a bit and during that period of time where the suppliers were demanding earlier payment, I think the buyers that run supply chain finance programs or offer vendor finance programs or early payment were advantaged through that because they had the liquidity available. If you think back to the 21, 22 period, a lot of corporates were still building those cash balances that you referenced at the top of the conversation. Back in that time period, not every large corporate or buyer was willing to come out of their own pocket to impact that working capital. If they're going to pay earlier to the suppliers, the suppliers are going to collect, and that money has to come out of the pocket of the buyer, that's a win-win, yeah. it's not yeah. a win-win. What we've seen across our data for 50,000-plus suppliers and hundreds of billions of dollars of spend around the world in 90 plus countries is payment terms were relatively flat. In the U.S., we saw a slight uptick of a couple of days on payment terms, a couple of days in Europe, actually, where it's taking a couple of days longer for the supplier to collect their money. We saw a decrease of about three days across our Asia-Pacific-based buyers. But relatively speaking, that's effectively a very balanced situation. And so I really sort of see that Balance of power, balancing out, I guess is what I would say. It's really sort of an equilibrium where you're only plus or minus one or two days across hundreds of billions of dollars of spend that you're seeing on
0: a platform like Okay, so what impact has this had on the world of supply chain finance in terms of the kinds of solutions that are in practice now versus what they were a few years ago? Is it basically the same kind of stuff? Are new new ideas popping up? Are old methods going away because they no longer are needed? Just what's happening in supply chain finance right now?
1: There's a couple things that I would say. The first is we're seeing new uses for supply chain finance where a lot of buyers would use tools for supply chain finance or early payment or, or invoice discounting in association with payment terms extension mm-hmm. initiative, where the buyer is trying to create additional working capital for themselves, we're seeing it used very often in strategic initiatives. So I mentioned an ESG initiative. So where a supplier may be trying to create a smaller carbon footprint for themselves, and the buyer wants that to happen across their entire supply chain. We see supply chain finance as a great way to inject capital into the supply chain to get that money in the hands of companies that are trying to fund ESG initiatives. It's a very efficient source of cash for those Mm. companies. It's very easy to track. We see very similar types of initiatives where you have major capital investments like electrification across production lines and supply chains. For automotive manufacturing or truck manufacturing, for instance, where supply chain finance and early payment and the injection of billions of dollars of liquidity into a supply chain can be used for something that's going to help the long-term sustainability of the company, the long-term sustainability of the economy, and the long-term sustainability of the earth through moving away from fossil fuels. So that's one thing that we see. The other thing that we see is a convergence of supply chain finance is one portion of a corporate procure-to-pay process if you're a buyer or order-to-cash process if you're a supplier. So we're starting to see a convergence in supply chain finance where we're connecting the dots across those business processes for the buyer and the supplier, whether it's procure-to-pay or order-to-cash. That creates a need for us to innovate organically as well as partner and look at M&A opportunities to be able to provide a broader set of solutions for our clients. And then the third thing is our corporate clients really just need more flexibility. They don't know what's going to happen in a quarter or definitely not in two quarters. So they just want more flexibility. They want more flexibility from the technology, more flexibility from the funders, and more flexibility from just the way that the programs are structured. And that requires innovation. It requires us to to work very closely with them to think about, okay, what could potentially happen and then what what resiliency tools will you need in partnership with your suppliers and your supply chain? And then we need to build those into our technology capabilities as well as our service capabilities.
0: Wow. Isn't it interesting just a few short years ago that ESG, environmental, social, and governance in the environment, it wasn't part of the supply chain finance conversation, as I recall. And now it's, you've just injected it into our conversation. It's fascinating because some of these suppliers are, by definition, scope three emitters. When it can, you know, the emissions that are outside the ability of the buyer to to control. And so, I guess with all the scope three emission reporting requirements, this really does become part of the supply chain finance conversation, doesn't it?
1: It's a huge part of the conversation because we're right in the middle of the strategic supply chain relationships. And it's top of mind for every one of our buyers, partially because of the reporting requirements, but partially because we all see the negative impacts that are happening to our planet. We only have one planet. We're all on it together. And I think most people are worried about that. And most people want to do something about it, including chief supply chain officers and chief procurement officers around the world.
0: So what does it mean in terms of changes? You use the word innovation, and I'm very interested in what kind of actual innovations we might see in the world of supply chain finance, specifically and for fintech, for financial technology. What new wrinkles might we see there?
1: APIs, interoperability, our ability to be able to interface upstream and downstream whether it's with invoice automation platforms, whether it's dynamic discounting platforms, whether it's with treasury management. I think that's going to be a big component of innovation for ourselves as well as many of our peers across the trade finance technology landscape. Those funders, the, the financial institutions, they have compliance and regulatory needs and pressures as well in a rising interest rate environment, an increasingly sort of regulatory controlled environment, an environment where whether it's a national bank, the Bank of England, the U.S. Federal Reserve, There's concerns around liquidity and availability of cash. They need flexibility to be able to move in and out of of trade finance. A lot of trade finance are uncommitted types of programs, and they need that flexibility to be able to move their capital where they need. But the supply chain, to be resilient, the supply chain needs to be able to have that. So we're working on a lot of innovation around the legal structure, around the technology that the bank needs to be able to move in and out of the programs efficiently and effective and allow capital markets to step in if they need to. And then I think just in terms of the servicing of the supply chain, to be able to provide the suppliers information that they need to reconcile their accounts receivable with their cash receipts Mm -hmm. to allow the buyer to do a better job of digitizing their AP processes. There's so many opportunities to help with automation, transparency, visibility, and all of those things go into the resiliency of businesses and the resiliency of supply chains.
0: Well, here again, PJ, is something that was not – I mean, I'm sure it was to some degree part of the supply chain finance conversation over the years, but certainly not front and center when you talk about resilience. And we're also talking about the awareness of risk management, that you need some kind of measure of agility – As you say, to go in and out of solutions, not to lock yourself in to one particular solution and then be caught out when conditions change. So is that that's really a focus these days, that that level of agility in supply chain finance?
1: Absolutely. It's an enormous focus for us. Very early in the pandemic, we were aggressive about making decisions and we were aggressive about making moves. And if you think back to the summer of 2020, there was probably a whole lot of agonizing over how difficult the times are, and and we're in the middle of this great tumult of adversity. But the reality is great evolution occurs out of that adversity. And, And we took a stance pretty quickly that if you don't evolve, you're going to die. You'll be a dinosaur of the past. I don't want our company to be a dinosaur of the past, and I don't want our industry to be a dinosaur of the past. So I think the adversity that we've faced over the last several years, and that I believe we're probably going to continue to face for the next couple, is really driving that evolution we need to be able to allow our clients to continue to evolve their businesses. And and at the end of the day, that resiliency is a core foundational component to evolution and being able to continue to be a leader moving forward, whether it's our business as a leader in the marketplace or, or giving our clients the tools that they need to be a leader in their marketplace.
0: And at the base of all this, do you truly believe that there is a redefinition and a whole fresh approach to the very nature of the supplier-buyer relationship?
1: Depends on what your definition of permanence is,
0: Bob. <laughs> well, if I'm anything's often, permanent these days.
1: The of, yeah, that's right. But I'm an extrovert. The best part of my job is getting to have conversations with folks like you, folks like our clients. And at the end of the day, we're sort of all in this together. Adversity makes us face the reality that we are all in it together. And I think we're going to face more adversity. So I'm very optimistic, at least over the next few years, that this movement towards more collaboration, more sharing of information, more transparency, more partnership amongst buyers and suppliers, there will be buyers and suppliers that don't take that approach, but, but it will be a competitive advantage for the ones that are collaborative and the ones that do have that esprit de corps around how are we going to strengthen our our relationship, how are we going to strengthen our businesses strategically over a long period of time? It's a strategic advantage today. You can see examples of that everywhere that you look. And those are the companies that are going to be able to evolve and move forward. So I'm very optimistic about the next several years. I mm-hmm. think when times get easy, I love the, the saying that hard times generate hard people and easy times <laughs> generate soft people. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't see soft times happening. I don't for a few think so years. either. So I'm very optimistic that we'll partner together and work together tightly across a broad range of businesses, at least for the next several years. And I'm very excited about that.
0: This has been a fascinating conversation. I love the way we've injected new themes and new ideas into the whole world of supply chain finance. P.J. Bain of Prime Revenue, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Bob. It's always great to be with you. I look forward to joining you again soon on a future podcast.
0: That was my conversation with P.J. Bain of Prime Revenue talking about the changing world of supply chain finance. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode, email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.